Welcome back to the Starting Strength Podcast. Uh, thank you guys for joining us uh, on this continuing series that we're uh, we're doing here at uh, the back room of Wichita Falls Athletic Club. Our friend Nick Delgadillo has been uh, appointed uh, to take over the duties of, of the monkey this week. And uh, so even though the credits at the end of this will say monkey, it's really Nick. Nick's actually doing this. And we're here this week with our friend in uh, Long Island, John Patrizzo. Dr. John Patrizzo is here with us. Uh, John, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? All right. Now, we're filming this uh, on Saturday afternoon, January 23rd. Uh, you guys, I understand, are getting some snow, right? Yeah. This is our first big snowstorm of the year, and we got about a foot and a half today so far. Well... Is your house holding up under the strain? or I'm in an apartment complex, so I'm fine. Well, look, I, I mean, you're on Long Island, right? Mm -hmm. And it snows up there, right? Yep. It snows up there in January mm -hmm. on a relatively frequent basis, right? Yep. Well, what I'm interested in knowing is why is everybody going monkey shit over this <laughs> you get on, on live today, and everybody is losing their mind. <laughs> it's snowing. It's January. What the hell is the problem here? It happens every year. I don't know why it's a surprise to people. I don't know. Well, do you have any theories on what the media might be doing here? Are they, are they trying to sell advertisements? <laughs> would that be, would that? that be their motivation is Does to try to do that? I didn't realize well, that. you know, that's what they say. That's what they say. I mean, they do run these spots. They hadn't stopped doing the ads, right? No. Oh, but they are wall-to-wall -wall snowstorm. Wall-to-wall right? -wall coverage, yeah. Wall-to-wall snowstorm. Well, here in sunny North Texas, it is clear. <laughs> it's about 50 degrees. And uh, there aren't 15 million people running around with their hair on fire. So I'd rather be here than there. So, John, uh, what's going on, man? What are you doing? John is, uh, I, I, I want to go into this a little bit. John, you're, you have a teaching job now. John is a doctor of physical therapy. He's teaching at uh, a school in his uh, neighborhood up there. Tell us about your job and what you're trying to do with it. So I'm in my third year now um, at Adelphi University on Long Island teaching in their exercise science department, undergraduate and graduate uh, courses. And um, they were looking for a physical therapist to teach. Um, I was recommended to them by a former uh, professor from my graduate program. And I went on the interview not expecting to actually get hired because I had no teaching experience and, you know, had just graduated recently myself. And they offered me the job, so I took it uh, with no real expectations. But um, I've been enjoying it so far. I teach kinesiology and biomechanics and um, a few other courses, uh, sports medicine. And uh, I get to work on some research projects, uh, working with George on this training registry project. Uh, you know I'm working on this study with the, the Olympic weightlifters analyzing their pull. Um, and I get to work with these exercise science students and talk about training and, and physical therapy and um, what real training is and how, how you actually go about helping people and the importance of strength. So 
um, it's been great so far. Uh, we we talked about the Olympic weightlifting thing. Just as this is almost an aside from what we're going to talk about today, but uh, <laughs> tell us <laughs> tell us about your <laughs> tell us about your pulling project and your uh, your uh, your success with getting that published. <laughs> Well, so I did a study that was actually, uh, I took Shelly Hancock's graduate research, she's another one of our starting strength coaches, uh, where she analyzed the deadlift with the traditional low hip starting position that you see a lot of Olympic weightlifting coaches typically recommend versus the starting strength model and analyzed for horizontal barbell displacement. So I took that model that she used and applied it to the snatch and the clean. Um, and what I did additionally was use a tendo unit to analyze peak and average power outputs during the two different movements. Um, got a bunch of competitive Olympic weightlifters to be subjects and, um, you know, ran the study, ran the data, wrote it up, uh, submitted it to the NSCA and, and they don't understand why, uh, why this type of study would be of any value to, uh, to anybody who would read their journals apparently. Well, of course not. Because, well, I can help with that. Nobody reads their journal. <laughs> so it, it it's a really, first problem. <laughs> you're better off publishing it uh, on our website. At least people tend to read that. Nobody reads their journal, so I guess there's no great loss to the no great loss. Of, but well, here, what is the uh, what was the upshot of the results of this study? Well, the upshot was that the. Um, the experimental alignment, which is the starting strength model alignment, uh, significantly reduced horizontal displacement during both the snatch and the clean, and that both the snatch and the clean had a trend towards improved peak and average power output uh, during the movement, but it wasn't statistically significant because exercise science studies small number of subjects, you know, the, the typical right. problems that you tend to have. But, right. um, you know, and that was in spite of the fact that we really only had um, a single familiarization trial with these subjects. Most of them, uh, you know, 90% of the subjects in the study pull with the low hips position. So that's the position that they were coached in. Right. Um, so with their first exposure to the starting strength model, this, they still produced a more hard, uh, more vertical bar path and uh, had an improvement in peak and average power. Well, <clears throat> the more vertical bar path, uh, is important to us because it signifies mechanical efficiency but in terms of the real world uh, a more vertical bar path would only be important if it also correlated with an in improvement in in peak and average power did it right did yes it? yeah to what extent uh was and you say uh, statistical and clinical significance well, you didn't say clinical right. significance. You said statistical significance. Right. Uh, the, the power explain, explain to our audience what that means. Well, from a, from a <clears throat> standpoint in terms of the study, there, there's a certain percentage that you'd have to hit for it to be uh, regarded as statistically significant. Um, these numbers that, that I got were between 2 and 3% for the snatch and clean peak and average power which from a practical standpoint to me, if you can improve your power output by two or 3% just by adjusting your by starting position. Changing your starting position. That's it, right? Not, not getting stronger, not making any other adjustment, but changing your starting position, I think that has 
good practical application, but from a statistical standpoint, it wasn't significant. Well, here's another aspect of practical application. What uh, percentage uh, separates first and second place at the Olympics? Less than 1%. Well, well, okay. Uh, that's what I thought. So, oh, hey, this just in. As a major winter storm continued its advance toward New York City, <laughs> Mayor Bill de Blasio advised residents Monday to make peace with whatever higher power they call God, for all shall meet their death in the coming tempest. The furious hoarfrost bearing down upon us knows neither mercy nor reason, and all within the five boroughs will perish, cowering in their brittle dwellings, said Bill de Blasio, adding that none would find succor from the gale save those favored by providence to pass quietly in their sleep. This shall be a tempest the likes of which has never been glimpsed by man nor beast. Clutch your babes close to your breast and take small comfort in knowing that they shall howl but for a few hours before death becomes them forever. <laughs> de Blasio added that, that de Blasio added that uh, barring an unexpected intensification in the storm, normal subway and bus service would resume on Wednesday. <laughs> Was that your New York accent, Rip? No. <laughs> no, that was the accent used by those on high, <laughs> such as Mayor de Blasio. Yeah, he's not okay. a popular guy around I'm here. I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's not. He's a panic-stricken son of a bitch. <laughs> okay, now, back to the topic. So you've got uh, a group of people uh, in this study. And this group of people has shown a 2 to 3% increase in peak power with merely an adjustment of start position, raising their hips, That's pulling it. the bar back in to the middle of the foot. And this is not considered significant enough a finding to publish by the National Strength and Conditioning Association's Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. Right? That's true. Well, the, the, the and, feedback and that I got. Th this is the funny part, okay? <laughs> is the review notes. Let's yeah. hear about that. So the feedback that I got uh, um, included the fact that the majority of champion weightlifters throughout the world pull with low hips. So therefore, this, this study is really of no significance whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another, another one was said that, didn't they? This, this is, this is an, yeah. an ingenious group of people. Another, another <laughs> I'm sorry for points was that uh, in, in the U.S., this is one of their expert reviewers actually said that in the U.S., right. the experimental alignment is actually what they teach. They said the, the U.S. weightlifting coaches typically teach a shoulders in front of the bar position, and he couldn't... Since what, last their, week? Well, the, but the thing is, is that that's not actually true. No, it's not uh, actually true. <laughs> but this is the so, thus revealing the familiarity <laughs> the reviewer had with the actual situation on the ground. Right, and, and yeah. uh, another comment was: it's been shown that squat strength is more highly correlated to weightlifting performance than anything else. 
well, I would agree with that, right? We know how important strength is. Yeah. Um, they've been conducting these studies analyzing bar pass for about 40 years now in Olympic right. weightlifting, right? Going back to the late right. 1960s, uh, I it, think, 1969. It, and if I'm correct, your paper wasn't about squat strength, right? That's correct. Ah. Okay. <laughs> well, there's that, too. All right. So, anyway, uh, I, I just thought that was amusing, so I, I thought we'd introduce that to the fans of the <laughs> podcast here. Uh, uh uh, time marches on, right? And uh, here we are, mired in mediocrity in 2015 with absolutely nobody doing anything about it but us. But us. <laughs> okay, now, John. Yeah. Let's talk about one of my favorite topics, and I know one of yours, <laughs> physical therapy. Shall we? Uh-huh. And I'm, yeah, I'm not going to be an asshole about this today because I'm not here to to insult the entire profession. I'm just here to uh, indict the approach taken by almost everyone in the profession. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, why don't you talk to us about this because I I know you're as frustrated as I am with with the situation. Uh, Sum it up for us, if you would. Well, you know, you and I have we've talked about this a lot. This is a topic on the forums a lot, uh, and um, you know I I get contacted a lot from people who are are frustrated with the typical uh, outpatient sports uh, or orthopedics physical therapy approach. Um, so what you typically get in in most outpatient physical therapy settings is uh, a room with a bunch of tables. You have a physical therapist and a support staff, uh, aides and students and things like that, uh, working uh, every 15 minutes. They have you know their next patient coming in. Um, everybody gets some sort of modality: ultrasound, ice, heat, uh, electric stim, uh, and that's a way for them to. My, my uh, modality—that's what you get to bill for. Yeah, that's the correct right. definition. So of the- very, it's very convenient that everybody gets that because you can bill for it. Right. Um, right. And it's also a way that you can get more people in at once because you can have 10 people on the table all getting stim while you have other people doing their exercises, things like that. So right. um, what you typically get is, uh, is you get your modalities. You get uh, the physical therapist will work on the patient manually for for uh, for a few minutes, spend some time stretching them or doing joint mobilizations or some type of uh, soft tissue work like ART or something like that, which, you know, you can bill for as well. That's also a and then, and, uh, and then And then you get um, a very loosely supervised therapeutic exercise program that consists of mostly table exercises or uh, light resistance bands, light dumbbells, things like that. And, um, you know, you basically come in a couple days a week, you follow that protocol repeatedly over and over again with no real thought to progression, and then eventually you feel better or you don't and you get discharged. And that's, that's most people's experience with uh, outpatient physical therapy today. So basically what you did is you just healed up over the period of time you spent with the physical therapist. Right, because there's uh, there's no and for healing up the insurance company gets billed, right? Yeah, right. Well, uh, my uh, my perception of the problem is that 
in uh, the current uh, physical therapy curriculum, mm -hmm. the stress recovery adaptation model is not taught as the uh, as the basis for uh, uh, for physical improvement, right? That's true. Yeah. And uh, in in my little non-professional assessment of the situation, I think that things would go a lot better if it were. Of course. So, yeah. so, so, you know, my experience with, with the PT curriculum and, and you know, I, I don't really blame uh, at all the, my program that I went through because the, the curriculum has to be accredited, right? And the, every, every course is overseen by the accrediting body and it's not something that there's room for, I guess, in the curriculum the way it's currently set up. So I, I think there's an issue uh, in the design of the curriculum um, as much as with how it's carried out and um, you know the physical therapy program that, that I went to was three years it was a hundred credits over the course of three years and you get a, a lot of anatomy and you get your basic orthopedics courses then you have uh, courses in uh, with neurologic impairments and then you have pediatrics and then you have geriatrics and you have all these different areas um, but they don't go into detail uh, in regards to exercise and, and the importance of um, how exercise can drive physical adaptations and improvements over time. Um, so you get a general overview of a lot of topics and then they rely on your clinical experiences because they send you out into the field to work in these different settings uh, to get experience with exercise. And the problem is no one in the field is really doing a whole lot of useful exercise so students can go through an entire graduate level physical therapy program and not learn um, anything really useful uh, about applying appropriate stress uh, repeatedly over a period of time to get people better. Well, and the odd thing about that, if, if, that, were, if that were all there was to it, that'd be fine. Yet, physical mm -hmm. therapists hold themselves out as the definitive experts on exercise. Yeah. And it puzzles me. Uh, that they could hold this opinion about uh, a profession that has so poorly prepared them with just the basics of uh, of analysis here. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you adaptation can, you can is the result of the recovery from stress. Right, right, and this you, you is can, all there is to it. You could be a physical therapist and you know not know how to teach somebody how to squat correctly or teach somebody how to deadlift correctly or press overhead. Um, you know, and a lot of physical therapists regard those exercises as dangerous um, because they don't have practical experience with them and, and they haven't learned about them over the course of their curriculum. Well, my, my problem is more fundamental than that. If they want to, uh, I can understand how someone with no experience, no formal training in the, in the barbell exercises doesn't appreciate their, their usefulness and their power. But what I can't understand is that these people have not thought through the process by which they expect someone to improve during the six weeks of physical therapy. You can't come right. in the office and do the same thing under the same circumstances, the same exact stress repeatedly and expect an adaptation toward an improvement to occur. Right. And this is my, this is a, just a fundamental conceptual problem. And I, is, is, this not addressed in school? 
I, I can't tell you that it's addressed in any meaningful way. You know, uh, we, we take physiology and, and things like that, but resistance training programming is really glossed over. Um, and Is it understood as fundamental to physical therapy? You know, I, I think part of the issue is, is that physical therapy, you can work in a lot of different fields in physical therapy, and there are a lot of people who go to physical therapy school and go on and work in a hospital where they're never going to do resistance training with patients. And they're, all they're going to do is get patients up out of bed and walk down the hall with them or take them up and down the stairs and then sit them back down. Um, so there, there's not a focus on resistance training exercise uh, in the curriculum. Is that, the progressive just, nature of physical improvement, that's really my question, is the progressive nature of physical improvement stressed as the primary factor in in this trend line upward that we'd like, you to, know, I, that we'd like to see? I think that any any basic exercise physiology course that you take talks about progressive overload, but I don't think it's driven home how that is the fundamental guiding principle to helping people get better. Whether you're talking about improvement in fitness or talking about rehabbing from an injury, you, you know, the emphasis is not there. So I can't say that it's not discussed at all, but it's not driven home how important that principle is um, across all these different populations that you're going to be working with as a physical therapist. Well, how do you deal with this in your curriculum? Well, so I, I've been fortunate, um, you know, when they brought me in, they basically let me build the curriculum from scratch for all of my courses. And, uh, and, you know, I talk about the importance of this throughout all of my different courses. We talk about, we break down how you actually perform these movements correctly. Um, we talk about this very problem in regards to physical therapy. I mean, at my students, I have, we have 200 undergrad students in our exercise science program. The majority of them want to go on to grad school for physical therapy, and a lot of them work in these offices and see this stuff firsthand, um, where they have patients who come in and over the course of six weeks, their exercise is not progressed at all. They're still using, you know, the yellow resistance band to do their internal external rotation, or you know, the three pound dumbbells to do their uh, shoulder raises or, or whatever it is they're doing. So, you know, not only are they doing ineffective exercises, but they're not progressing them at all. So the students see that as a problem, and it's something that I get to talk about in my classes. So um, I know, at least from from my standpoint, I'm trying to do my part in in making sure that my students come out of out of their courses understanding how important progressive overload is, whether you're talking about fitness or you're talking about rehabilitation. Well, well, good. I, I, at least it's being addressed in one in one program in one school in the country. But our uh, we get feedback from people all over the country at our seminars. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you're on our staff whenever you're available. You've, you know, we've, we've sit in front of 25 people and 25 people will sit and tell us that uh, the percentage of those people, and it's usually five or six people who've actually majored in exercise science, mm -hmm. uh, will tell us that uh, our material is the only exposure they've had to some of these key concepts and it's uh it's disturbing yeah i mean it really yeah. is disturbing i remember <clears throat> you know 25 years ago when i uh, uh b before i 
actually developed an adult brain. I remember being in physical therapy for a couple of injuries. And uh, I remember going to an appointment and uh, the guy was having me do something with a three pound dumbbell. And uh, I said to him, uh, uh, you know, we, we did this three pound dumbbell last time. And you know, I was lifting weights at the time. And mm -hmm. I said, we did a three-pound dumbbell uh, last time. Do you not think we ought to go up a little bit in weight? And he said, well, you can if you want to. <laughs> that's the whole thing. In a nutshell, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. That's the problem, yeah. isn't it? You can if you want to. More recently, my experience has been with rehabbing my own shoulders. And uh, I've had... Uh, cuff surgery, cuff repair surgery on this thing over here and a Mumford procedure on this one. And both of those uh, uh, procedures I had I'd rehabbed myself because I was well aware of the fact that uh, had I spent any time in, in a physical therapist's office, absolutely nothing would take place. Uh, first off, most physical therapists are under the uh, operating under the assumption that presses will destroy your shoulder. I really don't understand the level of uh, anatomical unawareness that is required to be of that opinion, uh, yet we hear it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, I rehabbed both of these shoulders with, with presses and with chin-ups. Mm -hmm. And uh, amazingly enough, this cuff repair uh, probably the biggest surprise to me at the time, although I look at it now and I think, well, no, that's perfectly obvious. I was deadlifting 315 on this shoulder, this rotator cuff repair three weeks post-op. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and at the time I thought, well, that's amazing. Well, really it's not. <laughs> really, no, it's not amazing at all. Uh, mm -hmm. There are a lot of muscles that anchor the humerus in the glenoid and mm -hmm. the rotator cuff uh, comprises a few of them but there are lots and lots of other muscles and 315 is just not that heavy for a 500 deadlifter so no it's not surprising at all and it was good to be able to actually move around and got the thing yeah i walked into the the physician's office the surgeon on my checkup appointment seven weeks post-op and he said, well, let's see your range of motion. So I said, well. <laughs> and he said, well, I guess you won't be needing any physical therapy, will you? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, because I'd already done it. You know, I went, mm -hmm. uh, I, I probably ought to do a video at some point and detail the procedure that I used to uh, start doing range of motion pressing mm -hmm. with a real light weight starting what 10 days post-op on that that freaks everybody out when you tell them that but mm -hmm. uh, I developed a, a way to use uh, the rings we have hanging from the ceiling in there so uh, anyway uh, you guys are, are doing a good job up there at Delphi what else is going on up in the area well, uh, aside from working at the university, I do work in an outpatient office uh, about 20, 25 hours a week. Uh, I see patients a couple nights a week, a few mornings a week. 
Um, so I am, you know, still actively working with people, which is, you know, what I've always enjoyed doing. So, um, you know, I have people that come, come to me now from all over. I've had people come from Connecticut, from, you know, Manhattan. And, and uh, it's because it's what I do and, and what we do at my clinic is different than what a lot of places do. Uh, you know, we have a squat rack. We have a full, we have a full gym. Um, you know, we're not going to waste your time with these modalities that, that don't, that don't work. And, uh, you, you know, you, it's just uh, across the board, you get amazing results when you actually apply the appropriate types of stresses to people. And, uh, it's something that, you know, I'm going to continue to do for as long as I can. Well, why don't we plug the clinic? Uh, it's Excel Physical Therapy and Workout in Manhasset, New York. Excel and, uh, Physical I, Therapy and Workout in yep. Manhasset. That's right. New York. Well, maybe so, we'll get you a little business off of that. That's a, it, <laughs> I, I assure you, this is not the normal process of physical no. therapy. Absolutely not. And it works much, much better. And go see for yourself. If you've been having problems uh, getting something back to where you think it needs to be, Give John and his crew a try and uh, let us know how it works. I can tell you, when I first started there, um, my bosses ha have always been, it's a husband and wife who own the place, they have always been uh, very much more exercise-based with their treatments than what I had previously seen in other physical therapy clinics. Um, uh, is that a snowplow driving by? I hear that noise. Yeah. That's a snowplow. <laughs> yeah, that actually driving is, yeah. down the hall. Okay. Yeah. So um, when I got there, I started using the squat rack and having people squat and deadlift and press and do all this stuff. And that's not something that I, I think they had a lot of previous experience with, but they never told me I couldn't do it. And uh, they started to see that I was getting good results with people. And uh, people actually started coming and asking, you know, to use the barbell stuff. And they've actually started to incorporate it themselves with, with their patients and um, I, my boss actually had spinal fusion surgery last year and he rehabbed it doing deadlifts and now he deadlifts more than he ever had prior to his <laughs> surgery and uh, his wife is a triathlete and she started uh, she started squatting and deadlifting and and uh, this year I'm, sh I'm confident that, that she's gonna have a better season than she's ever had before because she's just so much stronger than she was and you know now they see that one this stuff is not gonna kill anybody Right? It's not, you're not going to get hurt if you do it the right way and you program it the right way. And there are tremendous benefits to it. So now all of us at my clinic are, are using barbells uh, with, our, with our patients, which has been great. Good, good, good. Glad to hear it's coming along nicely. And I'm glad to hear they've kept an open mind about it and have learned from you as a, a result of watching things actually work. That's good. That's good. Maybe yeah, hope. I'm pretty. I'm pretty lucky to be to be in that situation because most places I wouldn't have even had the opportunity to do it. Right. Is there? Do you need any milk, eggs, or bread? <laughs> I mean, we can Amazon we, we can drones. figure out a way to get this to you. Maybe call Amazon and get a drone to bring in <laughs> milk, good. eggs, and bread. You're good. Okay. If well, I can't get out, I'll let you. I'll let okay. you guys know. Just call us. All right. If the phones are working, right. just call us. <laughs> okay, John. Thanks for. Thanks for being with us, John Patrizzo, Dr. Physical Therapy, Starting Strength Coach. And we thank you for watching the podcast. We'll see you next time.